at the end over another cup of coffee or another slice of bacon share those times when God has been faithful because actually it's the encouragement when he's come through in the past that will keep us going in the next times. It's the times when he has come through for me that can remind me to keep going, to keep trusting. He is faithful. It just doesn't always look at how we expect it to look. Um, But we can walk tall in that truth. He is faithful rather than shuffling along, grumbling and moaning. And boy, can I moan. In the times of challenge, in the times of hardship, believe that he is faithful. Because in Hebrews it says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And I remember so much in a talk recently that Ian did here, um, it's in those dark moments of thinking, actually what's God teaching me in this? What can I learn from this? How can I bless others through my dark times rather than just moaning about it and Boy, do I like to moan. I am the master of the pity party. There is no party I can throw better than a pity party. I have, I have hats, I have banners, I have tinsel, flashing lights. It's a pity party for me. Whoop! But that's not what he wants. Seriously, I throw great pretty parties. Um, they're brilliant. But that's not what he wants. It's actually, what's he want to teach me through this? Okay, what can I learn in this? How can I grow in that? That's what makes a difference. And I found the parable of the workers really helpful. It's in Matthew 20. Um, And a friend of mine on the phone was talking to me about this recently. And so I've just totally stolen it from her. She talks about the owner in the parable of the workers. If you want to look it up, it's Matthew 20, verses 1 to 16. At the start of the day, he says, I will pay you you a fair wage. Come and work in my vineyard. And then at 11 o'clock, he needs more workers. So he goes out again and says, I'll pay you a fair wage. Come along and work in my vineyard. And then in the afternoon, he goes out and he hires more people. I'll pay you a fair wage. And then at the 11th hour, the last four o'clock in the afternoon, he goes out again. I need more workers. Come along. I'll pay you a fair wage. And he pays the people who've been working all day exactly the same as the people who turn up for the last hour. He is so overwhelmingly generous. But what my friend pointed out to me was that those guys he hired at the 11th hour were waiting in the place where you go to get hired. They weren't in the pub whinging, oh, I've got a job. <laughs> they were in the spot, in the square, where you get hired. They were there going, bored now. But they were in the right place. Are we waiting in the right place? Are we trusting in God's faithfulness in the right spot? Or have we sloped off home for a moan and a glass of wine? God is faithful. It may not look how we expect it to, but he is. But are we ready for it? Are we expecting it? Are we in the right place to receive it? Or are we going to totally miss out because we're pity partying? I am so challenged by this because with my back, I pity party. But am I waiting? Am I expectant for what he could do? Are we expectant for, are we hopeful in our situations, in those dark places, in those challenging times? Are we expectant and hopeful for, okay, he's faithful, how can he come through? Because that's my Jesus. He is faithful. Another struggle I have with, and so often in my life I subconsciously believe that I have to earn Jesus' love by jumping through hoops. That if I do this, he'll love me. If I do this, 
he will love me. Oh, my back's doing all right today. Um, If I do these things, he will love me. But that's not my Jesus. My Jesus doesn't love me because I jump through hoops. And I'm going to look at the story of the prodigal son for this. It's from Luke. um, And I'm just going to trust that you know the story of the prodigal son. Um, Everyone know the story of the prodigal son? Um, My (laughs) mum always had great sympathy for the older brother. The one who was at home. The one who was working hard. The good boy. The one who had done everything his daddy had wanted him to. The obedient one. And yet, that runaway little scallywag comes sauntering home and daddy goes running to meet him and gives him a party. Why can't he have a party? He's worked hard. Why can't he be celebrated? He's done everything he's supposed to do. It's not fair. I feel like that so much. I am a whinger of, it's not fair. They get to be healed. Why can't I be healed? They get a nice new job. Why can't I? Actually, I quite like my job, but never mind. Um, It's not fair, but that's not our Jesus. The father wanted an intimate relationship with both his children. He wanted them to know how deeply they were loved. He wanted them to experience his love in return. He didn't just want obedience. He wanted their hearts. That's what God wants with us. We can do all the things we're supposed to do, but what he really cares about is our hearts, our truest beliefs, hopes, desires and dreams. That's what he cares about. And that's how God feels about us. He isn't interested in our service or a sacrifice. He just wants each and every one of us to know we are loved and to love him in return. Ooh, makes me think of a song from Moulin Rouge, but never mind. Um, If you know the musical, you know the one. Yes, I love that film. But he wants us to grasp that this means that for everything in our life will fall. Nothing else matters but to know that we are loved. But so many of us, and I in particular, I live a life less loved. When I worry that God will ask some horrible sacrifice that I don't want to do, I live less loved. We live less loved. When we indulge ourselves in sin, we live less loved. When we give in to anxiety, the crush of our circumstances, we live less loved. When we try to earn God's favour by our own efforts, we live less loved. When we get caught up in religious obligations to make ourselves acceptable, we live less loved. The older brother was trying to earn the father's favour and impress him by his commitment, slaving away because he was scared of the consequences. But he wasn't investing in the depth of relationship that the father so desperately wanted. The older brother was living less loved. And so we have a choice. Jesus made his choice on the cross and he chose to love us completely. He desires that complete, intimate relationship. But how will we respond? My prayer for each of us, my prayer for myself, is that we will be rooted, like the trees, rooted and established in love, so that we may have the power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know his love that surpasses all knowledge and that we may be, we may be filled to the measure with the fullness of God. That's Ephesians 3. His love for us is so wide that it covers all of our experience, every 
single experience we've had, the good ones and the hideously horrible, are covered by his love. And they cover those of the whole world. There is no way we can get around his love. His love is so long that it covers the length of my life. It covers the length of the life of every single human being from the beginning of time to the very end. There is no way we can drop behind his love. His love is so high. It rises to the heights of our celebrations and above we can't get over it. And his love is so deep, it reaches beyond the depths of our discouragement, despair, hurt, anguish, even death. There is no way we can go under his love. That's my Jesus. That's our Jesus. He is so loving no matter what. There is nothing we can ever do that will make him love us anymore. There is nothing we can ever do that will make, us love, make him love us any less. That's our Jesus. I also struggle with the idea of how, um, actually, why would he love me? Why on earth would he be interested in me? I'm not particularly lovable. I'm a bit selfish and a bit grumpy. Um, After all the rubbish I've done in my life, I'm not worthy of love. Why on earth would he care about me? People in the past haven't always cared about me. And you may have people at moments in your life, they pop back into your head of go, those times of rejection when people just go, they don't care. Why would he care about the tiny little details of my life? He put the stars in the sky. He created the universe. I am this teeny tiny infinitesimal little cog in a very, very big wheel. But that's not my Jesus. Going back to the parable of the prodigal son, um, that shows us so much of what our Jesus is like. That father, the father in the story, (laughs) he's quite different to my own father. Um, At the time, the listeners to Jesus telling this parable would have been most shocked by the father and his response to the father's to the son's outrageous request for his full inheritance early which we may have thought about ourselves i have but you don't ask we're far too british we don't sidle up to our parents and go i would like you to sell my house and give me half of it now money please we just wouldn't do that plus i can imagine the very choice words that would return from my father should i suggest it to him but this father does it he gives it what's even more shocking than the son asking in the first place is the fact that the father does it knowing that the son's going to do a shed load of no good. He's going to be up to all sorts of dodginess. Why on earth would you let someone do something when you know it's going to hurt them? The son went on. He squandered his inheritance on his own pleasure. He doesn't invest it. Um, But the father doesn't wade in. He doesn't sort it out. He's back at the farm and he's waiting He didn't go after him, tell him he's an idiot. He waits. And my friends who have older kids say that the hardest thing is not stepping in and nagging them, um, but waiting when they're working their way through things. Even as a teacher, it's so hard not to just tell the kids the answers. Hitler. You you can't just... They've got to work it out for themselves, because actually, in all honesty, they'll remember it far better than if we just pile in and tell them the answer. But then the son comes to his senses. 
Years later, he's returning and the father spots him. He's a long way away. The only way the father would spot the son is if he was constantly looking. It's been years and the father is still looking. I imagine him never walking down the road without having a look. Is he coming? Hoping that one day his boy would come home. One eye on his work, the other on the road. Looking for that familiar gate of his son coming. And then one day he spots him. Even though the son was half starved, hunched over in humiliation, you know your child. And he could have stayed at the front of the house, arms folded, going, told you so. I hope you've learnt your lesson, probably what I would have done, um, make him grovel a bit. But no, without hesitation, he leaves what he's doing and he ran down the road. The father would have been dressed in big, cumbersome robes. It was utterly dishonourable for an older man to do any running. And yet he hitches up his robes, he sacrifices his own dignity in deference for his son, and he legs it. I can imagine ankles on show as he is running down the road towards his son. He ignores the son's little speech, and he swallows him in kisses and hugs. Not a hint of anger, not the slightest consideration of the son's offer to become a servant. He's too overcome by joy. The servants who must have turned up shortly afterwards, having chased the father, would have been utterly bemused that this selfish son who would cause so much pain and so much hurt was suddenly being celebrated, given kisses, given rings, celebrated with a party. He deserved punishment, not a party. What kind of father is this? But that's the point of Jesus's story. The father isn't manipulating the son. He is loving him at the deepest possible level. The father ran because he didn't want the son to hurt for a second more than was absolutely necessary. The father's love is so true and complete. It is the constant through the story. And that's the same as our Jesus. Utter and complete love. No matter where we have come from, no matter what we've done or has happened to us, no matter, he loves us, he cares for us. He cares about every tiny aspect of our lives. Jesus says he's even numbered the hairs on our heads. And considering how many of mine fall out on a regular basis, that's a continuous tab to keep updated. But he does. He loves us no matter what. That's our Jesus. And let's walk out in the truth of who our Jesus is. We haven't even scraped the surface of his truths But let's not be shackled anymore. Let's not be held back by the lies and the deceits, by challenges and hardships, because our Jesus doesn't want us chained up. That's not our Jesus. To be loved by Jesus so completely means we can be free. Free to be who God made us to be. Free to be truly ourselves, uniquely designed, fearfully and wonderfully made, We're not held back by shame, by guilt, by a sense of not being good enough, by worthlessness, by a need to get other people to recognise us. We have no need to seek comfort in anything other than God. We can stand tall. We can be confident in who we are because we are so lovingly made. 
and he doesn't make mistakes. We don't need to worry about what's happening or the stress about our future because the past is gone and we were loved completely. In every moment of our past, we were totally loved. And in the future, yet to come, those big menacing clouds on the horizon, we will be completely loved. In the here and now, we are completely loved. I spend a lot of time worrying about the future or reliving the past. Um, and we spend, I spend a lot of time thinking about what other people have said, or oh, I should have said this, rah, 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 rah. Um, and I haven't mastered, minded, mastered mind reading yet, so I have no idea what other people think about me, but I spend a lot of time thinking about what other people might be thinking about me and making educated guesses, usually wrong. But that's not helpful. I also spend a lot of time um, worrying about the future. I've recently started seeing a counsellor. It's brilliant. I cannot recommend enough seeing a counsellor. It is amazing. And I catastrophize. I spend so much time thinking worst case scenario. As Colin takes Emily to nursery, car crash, they're both dead. Um, I, yes, even going up escalators, I start panicking what might happen. How Emily, H2, might somehow jump over. Anyway. But here's the thing, in all of my worries about the future, I don't include God. I never actually factor him in. And I once read a book that described all these worries and stresses like bubbles. And when we let God in, he just goes and pops them. We don't need to worry about the future because God will be there and we will be loved. We don't need to relive and worry about the past because God was there and we are completely loved. In the right now, we are completely loved. That's our Jesus. So if we can even come close to gasping, grasping this love, our lives are going to be different. But knowing it in our heads is one thing and processing it into our hearts is different. I remember praying with a lady who said that she got it in her head. That's great. But actually she didn't believe it in her heart. And God can change that in an instant when we pray, and sometimes he does. But sometimes it's got to be an act of will on our part. We have to choose to believe it. We have to will to believe it. And I remember praying with this lady, and we prayed for it to process, but we also prayed about choosing to believe it. And sometimes that is a minute-by-minute thing. I choose to believe I'm loved. I still choose to believe I loved. No, still loved choosing to believe it and sometimes it is that minute by minute by minute and sometimes it's hourly and sometimes it's daily but it's a choice to believe this truth it's a choice to believe who Jesus is Jesus tells us that the two greatest commandments are these love the Lord your God with all your might all your heart all your soul all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself that's who God is he is love that's my Jesus And from this place of knowing who Jesus is, from knowing that we are loved, from this intimacy, from this letting go of the stress and worry, to living in this place where we know that God has got us and he will never leave us. It's one of his promises, he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. We can have quality time with him. His love can flow through us and out into the world. We can be his loving hands and his feet to those around us. And actually, we can make a difference. We can serve. We can come alongside people because first we know that we are loved. 
And we can choose to live that. We can choose to respond to his promptings of take a meal to that person, go and give them a hug, whatever it is, because we know we are loved. I remember my friend Shirley, she died a few years ago and um, her mum came and talked about her book. She got cancer and before she got cancer, she was miserable. She was depressed. She was... She was pretty much giving up on, well, everything. She hated her job. She didn't like her friends. She wanted to move. She, yes, she was, she was broken. She was absolutely broken. And then she got cancer. And we went, oh, but God. She chose to do life with God. And in her brokenness of the cancer, she was whole. She was more beautiful than she had ever been, and she was a gorgeous lady, than she'd ever been when she was perfectly healthy. In the brokenness of cancer, and many of you know her, knew her, um, she she was happy, she was whole, she was complete. That's my Jesus. Jesus makes us whole again. Even through the hardest situations, he can make us whole again. We don't need to depend on anyone. We have the Holy Spirit living on us. And we've just got to let him change us. But how much will we let the fruit grow inside us? The more the spirit works, the more the fruit grows. That's our Jesus. So let's walk out in the truth of his love. Let's stand tall and confident, no matter what, knowing that we are loved and that he is faithful and that nothing else matters. Let's live that love growing and deepening our roots in Jesus, living in the freedom that comes from being rooted in the wide, long, high and deep love of God, because that's who our Jesus is. Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit, come. You know where our hearts are at. You know the misconceptions we have about you. Come, Holy Spirit, come, show us your truth. Show us who you are. Help us to walk out of here knowing more of who you are, the truth of who you are. Help us to live out in the truth of who you are in our Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Thanks so much, Joe. Well, I don't know about you, but I recognise so many of those um, misconceptions of Jesus, and um, in particular that um, always feeling that need to strive and that nothing is ever enough. And and that's not our Jesus. And one of the ways that um, we can bed that in, bed his goodness, his faithfulness, into our spirits is, is by worshipping him. And that's why so many, so many psalms and so many songs that we sing, there's a repetition because when we repeat the goodness of God, the attributes of his character, it helps them to become more embedded into our spirits so that we really know them and we live out of those truths. So let's stand <coughs> to worship and allow as we as we worship sorry as we worship God 
and we sing out those truths about his character. Let's allow those to minister to us and really confirm, reconfirm who our Jesus is.